Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro bringing you another enthralling episode of Monday Madness on September 6th, 2022. It's a brand new month, but it is still just as hot as that last one. It's currently 115 degrees here in Bakersfield, and I am so thankful that the rolling blackouts have not affected this area, knock on wood. I hear there is risk of it in the coming days for some parts of California, as Newsom declared a bit of an emergency last week and allowed more natural gas power plants up, so be sure to stay safe and hydrated out there. I know most of our audience is based out of Denver, and the temp's 99 degrees there, but that advice goes out to you too. I'm not one of those people who says, oh, you think it's hot out? Talk to me when it's 130, then you'll know real heat. No, the way I see it, hot is hot. Thankfully, fall is just around the corner. I would also like to add that the wacky world of energy should be returning within the next week or two, so those of you who have been asking me about its absence will not have to wait much longer. Other than that, I think we've done enough empty talking, so it's time we get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode. Let's do it! First off, commodity prices. Even though the prices are much better than they were a year ago, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit disappointed. Early this morning, WTI was as high as $90 and has since settled down to about $87, which is still lower than the $88 average that we saw last week. It still tracked the same pattern as Brent, despite being worth about $6 less per barrel. In recent weeks, we've seen natural gas excel where oil has faltered. That's not the story this week. After days of it being $9 and above, nine and a quarter at parts of last week, it lost its strength on Friday evening. Since then, it's fallen about $2 and sits at $7.996. While that certainly seems to be an aggressive falloff, it is in line with what the head and shoulders pattern was showing and has been building for about a year now. I think it would continue to build through winter, well, at least I thought it did, but now my confidence is waning. I still think it should sit somewhere between $6 to $9 through winter, but like Uncle Ben says in Spider-Man, with great supply shocks come great volatility. At least I think that's what he said. It's been a while since I've seen those Tobey Maguire flicks. What I'm trying to say is that a $5 natural gas price point through the winter could be incredibly unexpected, but not exactly implausible. We've certainly seen crazier drops not too long ago. Think back to April of 2020. Ultimately, these prices seem to be losing some steam that they've built in recent months, but they're still in great territory. Next up is the rig count. If the commodity prices were bad, then this is just salt in the wound. The rig count fell 5, which is the biggest decrease of the year. If we look at the largest basins, we see that the Permian is at fault with the biggest decrease. They lost 6 rigs, and the can of Woodford was the only other basin to have a net negative change as it lost 1. Otherwise, the Ardmer Woodford, Arcoma Woodford, Eagleford, and Haynesville each gained 1. The Williston actually led the pack with a two-rig increase. State by state, we saw much less change. Both New Mexico and North Dakota gained two rigs each. Texas dropped nine whole rigs. Let me repeat that. Texas lost nine rigs overall. The last time Texas lost nine or more rigs was back in June of 2020. I couldn't tell you why the rig count fell so aggressively, but if any of you know, we would love to get your insider opinion at podcast at rarepetro.com. Go ahead and shoot us an email. Who knows? We just might feature it on the next episode. There appears to be a shift of focus as we lose nine rigs targeting oil and gain four rigs looking to produce gas. The Gulf of Mexico even took a heavy hit as it is now down two rigs. I don't want to spend too much time focusing on negatives, so let's move on. Thirsty Thursday now has a new author. Nicholas Fernhout, one of our interns, took the reins and I gotta say, he knocked it out of the park. You can find it on www.rarepetro.com. 
If you didn't get an opportunity to read it, here's what you may have missed. After last week's drawdown of 3 million and a quarter barrels, it was hard to predict which way domestic inventories would go. The EIA thought a slight drawdown of about 1.5 million barrels was in order. They were off by more than double, as that week's drawdown was at 3.3 million barrels. And hey, we'll take it. The API, on the other hand, expected the drawdown to be a lot less. Half, in fact, of what the EIA did at 0.6 million barrels. However, they too reported a far different number. Rather than a drawdown, the API reported a slight build of 0.6 million barrels. The SPR continues its downward trend, reaching lows it hasn't seen since the middle of 1985. Looking at a graph of SPR inventories, it's also pretty easy to see that the slope of the recent decline is the steepest it has ever been. Oil is moving fast, and it isn't flowing into the SPR. Gasoline is still becoming cheaper. The average price dropped by about 5 cents over the past week, a modest amount, but nonetheless, it means we're all paying less to drive around. The EIA did note that this is the highest price gasoline has been leading up until Labor Day since 2014, so there's still definitely some more room to fall, or so we hope. For the second week in a row, Hawaiians are paying the most to fuel up at 5.30 per gallon. That's a difference of $1.975 between Hawaii and the cheapest state to fill up, Arkansas, where it costs just $3.325 per gallon. This lit stocks continue to fight as the gap between current and historical grows even wider. This is likely due to the high demand for distillates in the current business cycle. Until business slows, distillates will continue to lag behind historic levels. Unlike distillates, propane trades just as expected based on its five-year range and continues to increase. So there you have it. Bad news from the commodity prices and rig count, but good news from our inventory report, which I would argue is the most critical given our current energy landscape whether or not the market chooses to recognize it at this moment. But enough on the statistics, it's now time to get into the latest events. After teasing us for months, the G7 has finally revealed their price cap plan that they hope to use in choking out Russia's economy. Unfortunately, it seems as if it will be another futile one. According to U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, quote, This price cap is one of the most powerful tools we have to fight inflation and protect workers and businesses in the United States and globally from future price spikes caused by global disruptions. End quote. While she is correct in theory, it lies in the assumption that, one, Russia will respect it, and two, that the rest of the world will also abide by the rules. The conditions say that Russian oil will not be insured in transportation if sold above the price cap. This should dissuade transporters from taking the risk of buying it and importers from risking failed deliveries should something go wrong. The biggest concern at this point is that the price cap is not really set. I mean, is it going to be $70? Is it going to be $50? How low can you go? We don't know. They're still working on that. In the end, it may not matter as Russia has repeatedly said that they will refuse to honor a price cap, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Even if other countries did decide to abide, well... It wouldn't be the end of the world for Russia thanks to booming markets in both China and India. Another thing to consider is that Russia is currently delivering zero, that's right, goose egg gas through the Nord Stream pipeline. So we may not want to throw out policies like this to lengthen the time at which it is, quote, down for maintenance, unquote. My greatest fear is that this backfires and actually reduces the energy resources countries receive should shipping companies refuse to take the risk of transporting uninsured cargo in an energy landscape that is screaming for more resources. Essentially, it has become a game of chicken in which Russia is driving an 18-wheeler and the rest of Europe has teamed up on bicycles. Sure, together they are mighty, but I wouldn't be surprised if people got so desperate and scared that they chose to side with Russia in terms of energy security. 
I don't see this ending the way the West wants, and I'm ultimately baffled as to what these politicians do all day. I mean, it's been six months, and this is just a variation of a solution that has been proposed ten times over. I, I hate to be a pessimist, but Russia has the gold, and you know what they say about he who has the gold. Side note, while writing the script, my phone just screamed at me, warning of a grid overload in California. Too bad we decommissioned natural gas power plants in recent years without establishing a reliable and consistent baseload capacity. You reap what you sow, I suppose. Since we were just on the topic of Russian energy, we may as well end with a story that I could not report on if I was a Russian citizen. Ravil Maganok, chairman of Russia's second largest oil producer, Luke Oil, died last Thursday at the Central Clinical Hospital in Moscow. His company, Luke Oil, released this statement, quote, We deeply regret to announce that Ravil Maganov, chairman of Luke Oil's board of directors, passed away following a severe illness. Ravil Maganov immensely contributed to the development of not only the company, but of the entire Russian oil and gas sector, end quote. What they failed to mention in that statement was that his severe illness was a terminal and chronic allergy to gravity because he passed away after passing through the six-story window of the hospital. If that doesn't arouse enough suspicion, know that he is the second Luke Oil executive to die of what some would consider mysterious causes this year. There's still an investigation into former executive Alexander Subatin as he was found dead in the basement of a house that was not his. I think it boils down to three factors. Luke Oil is the second largest company after Gazprom. Additionally, Luke Oil is the country's largest non-state enterprise in terms of revenue. Lastly, Luke Oil released the following statement earlier this year. Quote, We stand for the immediate cessation of the armed conflict and duly support its resolution through the negotiation process and diplomatic means. End quote. I'm sure we're missing a few pieces of the puzzle, even so, but I'll allow you to draw your own conclusions. Russia's pursuing brutal strategies to silence opposers and distributing sickening amounts of pro-war propaganda. They clearly have a goal to control the Baltic region and a warm water port. They certainly don't care who gets in the way. Not the brightest episode of Monday Madness that we've had, but certainly an informative one. You know, come to think of it, there's something to learn in every piece of content Rare Petro releases, so you may as well frack that follow button. You can also find us on LinkedIn, where we are regularly pushing out content that will just make you that much more of an informed energy professional. If you want the upper edge in the professional energy landscape, look no further than our content. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care everybody.